Hey everyone, welcome to the Breakthrough Breakdown. In this podcast, we'll be breaking down the sermon from the previous week, diving into theological discussions, and even having some fun. Make sure to join us every Wednesday on Spotify, Apple Music, and download our Zion Lutheran Church app for more updates. And with that, we hope you enjoy the Breakthrough Breakdown. Hey, welcome to the Breakthrough Breakdown. It's so great to be here. I'm Jason. I'm John. I'm Derek. Good afternoon or evening, whenever you're listening to that. I'm Jennifer. But like, <laughs> I mean, we can you, cut I'm, it to start over. It's you fine. just no, you just kind of threw me off. That's not how we. That's not how we. We ever just okay. So like, from good on, morning Vietnam. If you're sitting in your car, or sitting down, or if you're eating dinner, <laughs> or if you're making dinner, if you're, it's like the shema for like. That's the, right. right through, while you're standing or sleeping and laying down, good morning to you. You just somebody, threw me off. Somebody out there is going to appreciate that I messed it up. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, probably. I probably. agree. I'm going to get text messages about this. They're probably from, from all 50 of our listeners. Thanks for standing up, Jennifer. <laughs> That's right. You are revolutionary, I am a Jennifer. Rebel. Yeah. Well, hey, we are in our second week of our new series, Awaken What Got You Here. And uh, this Sunday, we actually, we actually talked about uh, this idea of the gates of hell, uh, that the kingdom of God is pushing up against the gates of hell. Um, but one of the things that we talked about, and I thought it'd be fun to, to kind of talk about it first, is the gospel. And specifically, uh, what's the difference between the gospel being good news versus good advice? Like, I think I was thinking about the message and kind of how we processed. And like, for me, I grew up, when I got saved, it was more like, here's advice for how you should live or advice for how you should be better. What do you, how, what? What did you guys believe growing up? I mean, it was that maybe that's just a unique experience for me, but has your view of the gospel changed over the years? Yes. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be one of those days, isn't it? I well, I'm I'm like just like laughing of like it, if I'm following Jesus, absolutely it should be transforming and changing yeah. and and growing and processing. Yeah. So for me, uh, to, to more specifically answer your question, yeah, I, kind of, I think I, I think you and I grew up in similar times where it was like, okay, you know, going to he- like loving Jesus is your key to salvation, your key to eternal life, which is wonderful, great. We yeah. don't diminish that. Um, but then also like, well, then here's like standards for living, yeah. which in and of itself are also great. They there's a protection in that, yeah, and protection allows you to live freer, um, but. Yeah, now it's more like, um, wow, the the Holy Spirit has the power to completely revolutionize my life. That that, that what God asks us to do is radical and uh, kind of crazy and kind of difficult to understand and very hard to follow. And like things where like obedience. Yeah how important that is and what that means and faithfulness. Yeah. And it's like when you get down to those kind of topics, you're like, oh, this is so much more difficult than a sinner's prayer. Yeah. Well, uh, and I don't, because again, uh, Baptist tradition is different than Lutheran. Same thing with E.V. Free and Baptist oh, are similar. very similar. Mm-hmm. So much of like when I came to Christ in 1989, the goal was if you don't want to go to hell, if you want Jesus to be your savior, like the end goal was heaven. And I don't know, is that from a, well, you were raised Lutheran, you both mm-hmm. were raised Lutheran. Was that part of the Lutheran experience for you guys growing up or what? How did how was the gospel taught to you guys? Because I I don't have that experience. I don't know if we all shared the same or if you had a different view. Can I answer the first question first? Sure. Okay. Because you you asked us like does I it did I asked for too us? many questions. Yeah, and you know, <laughs> well for me, yes, absolutely, my view has changed and actually goes very similar. And you know, I'm going to be preaching next week if you listen to it soon enough and when we first post it. Uh, I'll be preaching next weekend and I'll be talking about scripture a lot. And to me, the, the thing that comes to mind is that if we if we only view the Bible or the gospel as advice or behavioral changes, I think it cheapens what the gospel can yes. do. That that transformation, I think, is what you were kind of getting at and talking about, Jennifer, is like if you only do it from a behavioral standpoint, I think it misses out on the, 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 the liberation, the freedom that the gospel gives us, but also the, the power to, to, to take action, to mm. change lives, to all of these things through the Holy Spirit in us. And so uh, that's, that's my immediate thought when I think of like, if it's just advice, like, man, that's just limiting almost yeah. where it's like, 
the gospel is so much more freeing than that. And it spans thousands and thousands, like all of existence. And, and so it's just so much greater than the simplicity of changing lives. Like I, I do this with the youth program. I do it every few years is, you know, I was an engineer in a former life. And so I, I have all my old textbooks that they wouldn't buy back. Uh, yep. And so I have a bunch of them. And so I come and I set them on a table and I stack it as high as the books will go. And I basically just say, hey, you know, just for the little topic of engineering, I needed 50 books. I said, how in the world do we just assume that the Bible is going to be, you know, oh, all of our knowledge base? Like, it's not about knowledge. It's not yeah. about, you know, it's not a history book. It's not a textbook. It's not a, it's <clears throat> not a self-help book. Like, there's millions of self-help books out there. Like, it's more than that. It shows us who God is. And that's what, that's what the gospel should be pointing us towards is like the, it's, yes, we get freedom in the gospel, but like who's giving us that freedom? Who are we supposed to be connecting with? Yeah. And it's the same thing with heaven. And I think that's to your second question is that, yeah, I think we we view it as getting in and that's that's the end game. But it's not. It's who's in heaven with us. That's the important part. Like that's the yeah, that's the exciting part. That's the thing that's worth fighting for. So, yeah, when you say I want to get to heaven. Yes, but it's what is heaven and why is it so yeah. important? I think if you forget that, then it's just a task you're trying to achieve versus who are you trying to know. Well, I think even the good advice language is you can take or leave advice. But news isn't advice. News means this is happening. You have a choice how you respond to it. Yep. Uh, and your response doesn't change the news. Oh, and, I like that. and I think that's part of it is good advice. Like too often when churches like, and again, what I was taught was, don't listen to secular music. That's good advice. That didn't change my life. There was nothing There was nothing good about that. It was just stop doing something. Whereas the gospel, which is Jesus is king and he's here and he's present and he's moving in the world. And you can either get on board or choose not to. Like I choose to believe that news or to reject that news, but the news is still the same. And I think that was one for me. And, and yeah, how about you, John? What, like, what was your experience growing up? Has the, has the gospel changed for you? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I think it was, I was trying to think back to when I was growing up and, and learning the, the fundamentals, I guess you could say, quote unquote. Um, it, it always felt to me like just another something that I did, just another something I was supposed to do and just another thing to learn. Um, and I, I don't know that it was ever really like a, a super like a super fun thing for me. It was just like, well, this is just something that we do. And mm -hmm. we go to church on Sundays and we go to Wednesday night activities, either to serve or to participate. Usually it was a combination of both. And uh, we go on Christmas and Easter and all the other holidays. And it's just kind of something that we do. And it wasn't ba bad necessarily. I never really was like, oh, I hate this. This is the worst. It was just kind of a routine and familiar. And, yeah. and then when it got to when I branched out and was like, I, I encountered Jesus in a different way through um, experiences at camp, through experiences at college, through it became it was like a light bulb clicked. And I was like, oh, this is a lot more real. And I've just been settling for the surface level kind of yeah. thing. The, the, the rules, the routine that do this, don't do this because it's good advice and not really, well, who's the person behind the advice? Who's the, who's the person of Jesus? And, and that's really the biggest thing. Like you, we want to live like Christ. We want to be like Christ. And, and that means saying yes to certain things and saying no to other things, but we don't make that, our focus. We make Jesus our focus. And yeah. I think the other thing about it is uh, two things. One, behavior can elicit shame, right? You're either good, mm -hmm. or, you're a good or bad person, yeah. and now you've associated an identity based off of the way you behave, right? right? Mm -hmm. So if you fail, well, now you're a failure. Yep. You know. And I think the other part about it is what makes it good advice. And this is what I think a lot of non-believing people. You know, but they have a hard time seeing when they only see the behavior side of the Bible. Well, what, what makes it good? Why? Why is this? Why is this definition? Who's defining it as good? 
Yeah. And I think that's something that's really important because it's not, you oh, know, since wow. it's more than ad advice, it's yeah. a, about the one who gives the recommendations on how to live and the advice on how to live. Like that's where it's like, no, I'm not, I'm not the definer of good right now. Well, and I think you just said, so I think about one of the lies when I was younger and, and it, I didn't realize how, how much it had shaped my view of other people. I assumed that because I believed in the gospel and the good news, that made me good. And therefore, mm -hmm. you were bad. Yeah. And now right. there was now a black or white binary thinking, well, I'm good because I'm in the church. You're bad because you're not. Right. And it's not that I'm good. The news is good. Yeah. And I, I started confusing. I think I confused that. And again, I think that's common. Mm -hmm. um, but I even think about some of the things that I look back now and, and I made judgments about people mm. based upon the fact that if they weren't a Christian, that somehow I was part of an elite club that was good news. Mm. No, I'm not the good news. That's that good news is not Jason Miller or look at how my life has changed. And so when we move to moralism, when morality becomes the good news, no wonder it falls short. Yeah. Because right. let's just be honest, there are people out there who aren't Christians that act a heck of a more like a lot more 100%. like Jesus than we do. Yeah. But then it yeah. also, John, something you just said really hit me, and I, I hadn't thought about this before. I think the reason why, and I'm not saying that everybody has to be called to be a pastor, but when I realized that I was called to the church is I think some people see going to church as good advice. Well, if you mm. want to be a good life, you should go to church. If you want to be have a strong relationship with God, you should go to church. If I want to fit in in my community. If I, I want to... That's right. Yeah. That's good advice. And no wonder you choose not to go. Well, I don't feel like going today because it's advice. It's like going to the gym. It's like, good to go to the gym. That's yep. advice. But for me, and part of just my family dynamic, because I didn't have a, much of a family, the good news of the gospel for me was this was my family. Mm. Church was my home. It changed my perception. It was no longer advice. It was a, it was a reality shift for me. It was me. a relationship. It was a relationship. It shifted everything for me. And so it made sense for me that I wanted to be a pastor because I wanted so desperately for other people to know the good news that in Jesus you're part of a family. That's not advice anymore because you don't, when you're a Christian, take it or leave it. You're part of the family of God. Mm -hmm. Like you can reject that, but you're rejecting the blessing. And I think, I wonder how much of it is, is that we approach things like being involved in church, consistency in church, worship. Well, I don't feel like singing. I don't feel like praying. That's not advice. We don't pray because it's good advice. We we pray because we connect with the living God. Mm -hmm. We worship because God is worthy of it, not because it's advised we do it. And yeah. I was, as you were saying that, that just struck me because I, I really do. I knew I knew I was called into ministry at 14 years old. I, I, I thought I knew I was called to be a, a youth pastor. I knew that God wanted me there. But I never connected why I believed that. And I think even at that young age, I couldn't have articulated it. But because the church for me wasn't something that I, it wasn't just a better option, it now shaped my identity. And there was good news in that because I wasn't part of that before. And I think, and I think we need to be very thankful that it's not a morality-based mm -hmm. use yeah. because no. we're gonna we're not gonna live up to it. And then where's the good in that? That's like, not, yeah, you're gonna like if it's about morality, I'm gonna fail. That's Even, bad news. If I have to, if I have to earn it, you know, because I, you know, and I even I would, you know, if I were to look at myself, I'm like, yeah, I'm a good person, but like. Man, there's a lot of times I'm not, and it's like you know if that's the if that's the measuring stick, then man, I need hit with it, and you know, and then we go to your shame thing, and I was like, that's not good news. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's and, not it, good news. and when we confuse the good news of the gospel is simply about heaven, some future thing that all of us are going to have to confront, whether it be sooner or later, it really is like church becomes a game, your faith becomes a game. It's Jesus as a get out of jail free card. Yeah, you know, we use the monopoly illustration. Mm -hmm. Well. The other side of it is, is if you if you can't wrap your mind, if you just just don't believe that there's life after life on this earth, that there really is an eternity, then it may it completely. If the goal is to get to heaven, well then, and you, there's like there's no how is this a how, how is there a heaven? If that's like a yeah. thing you're thinking or questioning, then it totally invalidates. I mean, it just totally crushes even the need for a savior or yeah. the need for. And it's like no, the goal is not heaven. That's a great the goal is the Jesus in heaven. That's right. And then it leads to that complacent Christian of where it's like, you know, yeah, I'm in, so I'm good. Yeah, yeah. And when I think about like I just like and I know we use him for everything, but like when I think about Paul. No. When I, <laughs> no, when I, when I think of, no, when I think about the Apostle Paul, um, I think, you know, 
all that stuff he did in later years of life, like he did not just go quietly into the, into his (laughs) death, but like he didn't go quietly into it. Like he was, and it was crazy. Like he he would get arrested. He would get shipwrecked and he just kept going. He got stoned and they like dragged him out. And he's like, I want to go back. Like, you know, he just, that's showing. And if you look at almost all the disciples, disciples, it wasn't a complacency thing. It was like a, you know, Jesus is returning and we got to do everything we can. It was action based on their love for the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he was, it was like he, Paul and the disciples valued heaven for sure. Like Paul was like to, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's like, it's not like, you know, it's not like it's a bad thing, but it's, it's, where's the focus? It's right now, God's calling me to preach to the Gentiles to, to go here and go here and go here. And, and the focus is on Christ. And and ultimately that's what makes heaven so great is the end is because we get to be with God. We get to be with Jesus. I think the other thing too, I'm just kind of like processing things that I've thought or believed, but it's like, um, okay, how do I want to say this? I, if heaven is not real, Mm -hmm. okay. If heaven was not real, I'm actually not afraid because I know my Jesus is because I have Mm. an active relationship with a living God right now. Now, I believe what he said is true. So I believe that there is. But I'm just saying, like, I mean, for some, you know, I don't know. It's like for me, it doesn't even if I even when I die, if for some reason that is not there, the God of the universe will be there. Well, so it's interesting that you say that, because I think, again, Jesus, when he came and he said, I'm pro- he came to proclaim the kingdom of God, and then he started doing things. I think sometimes we forget that part of our, the gift that God has given us is we get to participate in bringing heaven to earth now. Yeah. That's the Lord's prayer. So cool. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Mm-hmm. That's an active, not a one day, Jesus, the heaven and earth are going to come back together. No, no, we get to bring elements of heaven now, which goes to the text in mm-hmm. Matthew 16, when Jesus says, what you bind in heaven and you loose in heaven will be bound and loose on earth. Like that's no, we actually have spiritual authority to do things in the spiritual realm that affect the physical. And and now all of a sudden the gospel, like if I look at Jesus, there I think maybe actually I don't know that Jesus ever talks about the the kingdom of God being eternal life. He talks about eternal life, but he never makes the point of well, hey, the whole reason why I'm here is so that when you die, you get to be with me here. He talks about marriage at the resurrection. He talks about the resurrection. But the rest of it is him bringing the kingdom, bringing goodness, bringing Tove yeah. into the world. And I think that's where, for me, I talk, the, we were talking about those shifts in gospel. Um, N.T. Wright was really the first one who articulated it for me, but I had elements of it early on. I remember reading a book by Mike Iaconelli called Messy Spirituality. And Mike Iaconelli was the youth pastor's pastor. <laughs> and he died in the early 2000s. And I remember reading this book. And his whole part is, is that when we, when someone comes to faith, they're not a finished product. In fact, you're going to meet people that are rough around the edges and maybe for years because spirituality is messy. And when we understand the grace of God is not about changing your behavior, but changing your identity. Now, all of a sudden, when you meet somebody who's been a Christian for 10 years, maybe they smoke and drink and cuss, but you don't know the work that the Lord's done inside of them and how quickly I thought, I think the gospel, well, why aren't you, why are you still cussing? Mm-hmm. Why are you still smoking? Are you a Christian or not? And as if that's what defines a Christian. Yeah. And I started, that was my, my first shift in realizing that the gospel was bigger than just heaven. That the gospel meant something did change in my life, but not so that I earned it. It's the result of the kingdom of heaven working in me. You look like you want to say something, Derek. Yeah. <clears throat> I just don't know how I got, when I read, when I read the book of Matthew, I don't know how you don't just feel every bit of that kingdom language that yeah. the kingdom being built and what that looks like and yes a lot of it does feel like behavioral it does like the beatitudes and stuff but if you dive deep and we did we did a whole uh half a year on it and like it's so much more than that and that this is like to me this is what heaven's like this is what it's supposed to be like and that's why we're a part of it here on earth like that's to me there's nothing there's not much better in the New Testament that I love thinking about more than what the, the kingdom of heaven looks like now. Yeah. Like obviously when Jesus comes, like that's going to be awesome, but like I love thinking about like what is it what is it, what was he establishing? What was Jesus every step of the way seemed very uh 
thought out and like there was reason for it. And it was all about, you know, engaging with people and like all of that with, where transformation was happening in their lives and the people of lives that were doing it. Like, it's just such a cool yeah. thing, a cool thing to think about. And like that we're a part of that too. It wasn't just something that was supposed to happen then that we're continuing it on. And we have to be a part of that as well and live every yeah. life or every day. Like Jesus is coming again, but like there's action in that. There's, it's not just a sit back and wait. It's a, no, we get to be a part of this because that's what Jesus is establishing and, yeah. and called us into. <clears throat> That's well, cool. and so one of the things that um, uh, early 2000s, I remember hearing this for the first time, is that this idea that we actually get to build parts of heaven now mm. and the things that are good, the things that are heaven are going to remain. Right. And the image, mm. the image the Bible uses of fire coming, purifying fire and what's wood, hay and stubble is going to be burned away. But those things that are tov, that are of God's kingdom will remain, which means... There are things in our world today that when Jesus returns and heaven and earth come together, instead of this whole thing, it's all going to burn. No, the things that are not of the Lord are going to be, are going to blow away like chafe in the wind. And the things that are eternal, the things that are made of gold and silver and purified, refined things, those things will remain. That means the structures, the institutions, the things that we set up, some of those things may exist in the new heaven and earth. And I know that's hard for us to think about. Like Amazon? Like Amazon. Yeah. Amazon. Well, like I'm counting Prime it. Delivery. Yeah, prime <laughs> Delivery. Well, you know, I mean, Amazon's not going to have Prime Delivery. Come on. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's actually really cool to think about that because, it, you know, I think what's really wonderful to be like, wow, things that I am doing here and now may remain for eternity. Yeah. For the rest of time. I don't even know. I can't even put that into fathomable words, but it's like, wow, that's pretty cool. And even better, when I look at it in heaven, I'm not going to go, well, I I might I think I might know that I participated in that, but it's not going to be out of a selfish yeah. or prideful yeah. thing. It'll be like, wow, we did this for God. Like, wow, what an opera like, wow. And I just think I just think that that is beautiful. Yes, yeah. And I think it shows so much importance why then we need to turn to prayer. We need to lean on the Holy Spirit yeah. because w why put your your talents, your gifts, your blessings towards things that aren't going to remain? Yeah, absolutely. Like why would you why would you focus all that on things that are like is a waste when mm -hmm. if you follow what the Holy Spirit's pointing you towards, like this is something that could be eternal. Yeah. So it is a good it is a cool thing to think about. And I know there's a bunch of different ways to read the book of Revelation, right? But one of the things that I, when I read Revelation there's a lot of symbolism, and there's a lot of metaphor. What? I know it's crazy. I know it's crazy. Um, but when you look at the final picture of what heaven and earth is supposed to be look like, it's. I don't believe it's literal. I don't think the. I believe heaven is literal, but I believe the imagery is meant to convey something. So, for instance, when it says that there's going to be streets of gold, mm. it's not that literally there's streets of gold, but gold is the monetary value. Here we are. We're hoarding all this money, trying to have big bank accounts, right. big things. We get to heaven and literally streets, the thing you walk on, the thing that you drive on, the thing that means absolutely nothing to us, there's going to be so much of that available, <laughs> yeah. we're not even going to care about it. That's the point of it. And yet here we are, we're investing in things that eventually are just going to become roads mm -hmm. in God's kingdom. Uh, and, and I think about that and it makes me wonder, part of that goes, goes back to the gospel, is if the gospel is just about me getting to heaven, it has yeah. no tangible impact on how I live now. Yeah. And, and I think about um, when I meet people that are wealthy who don't love Jesus. And here's the thing. People say money doesn't buy you happiness. It absolutely does. Money buys you <laughs> happiness, but it doesn't buy you joy. Yeah, that happiness doesn't last very long. It doesn't buy you purpose. Mm -hmm. it, it, it creates its own set of struggles, which is why you hear about rich people who commit suicide or people who throw their marriages away. Well, mm -hmm. you had all this money. You had not a care in the world. You had nothing that you had to worry about, and yet your life is falling apart. Because, yeah, it can buy happiness to an extent. It can't change your life. It can't change your heart. It can't change how you view the world. Um, and if the gospel really gets a hold of us, then all of a sudden all those things change. Now, this leads us and to— And I think real quick, yeah, though, ahead, I think ahead. the flip side of that, too, is, is that— if we're, let's say you're on the poor side of it and you're like, oh, I need that money so oh, badly. Have money, and, yeah. and it's like, that's that's the street. Like, you know, when you think of yeah. it from that that perspective of like, we, we fight over money, we kill over money, we'll throw our neighbor under the bus for money, we will cheat for money, whatever it might be, we'll do all these things for, for that. 
and it doesn't matter. And so no matter which side you're, you're on of the equation, it's like, why do we care so much? Like, and I've tried to take a, a nonchalant way with money, like to the point where it's like people like, are like, do you have a, do you even have a plan? I was like, I can move in with my grandma if I run out of money, <laughs> like, you know? And so, uh, but I think it's because it has such a hold. And I know my personality that I could let it take hold yeah. and I could let it, let it take hold bad. Yeah. And so I try very hard not to because I know what my personality could do with it. And so I do try. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and this is where I think there are things that we invest in. So like the purpose of tithing, for instance, the purpose of tithing is not that God needs your money. Church does. Church is a, The church is an organization that is ultimately an organism, but it you don't have pastors or paid people that can dedicate their life without giving. God doesn't need it. But why do we tithe then? If you look at tithing through a gospel lens, which is, wait, you know what the good news of Jesus is? Is that money does not define me. That's the good news. The tithe, that when I tithe, it's me saying, I believe that the gospel is bigger than my bank account. And that ultimately, when I tithe the Lord, I'm investing and trusting in something bigger than my, what I think matters. And that's not advice. Like, Jesus doesn't say, if you feel like it, it's, it's commanded. And I think that's why Jesus puts commands on tithing fasting prayers, that these things are not advice. They are things that sh- that shore up your identity, that actually it's your way of saying, either this can control me or this can. And if, if money is your gospel, if money is your good news, it's going to let you down. Mm-hmm. If uh, freedom is your gospel, like the goal is I want to be as free as I can be, eventually it's going to let you down because I hate to tell you, we all get old. And eventually my body makes me not free. Mm. Like, I, I, I want to be able to do all things, but if I can't walk because my knees are garbage because I'm 70 years old, the only thing that is really good news is that in Christ, I have an identity with Christ. And these things come in. Okay, so now we just came in and we've talked about this good news versus good advice. But that text in Matthew 16, we got into um, where Jesus and Peter were having the conversation about the rocks. And... Uh, in Catholicism, and I love my Catholic brothers and sisters, and, and I got to tell you, I don't know that for sure my interpretation is correct because there's differing views. In Catholicism, when Jesus tells Peter, upon this rock I will build, you are the rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell or Hades will not prevail, Catholicism says that Peter is the rock that Jesus builds the church. And that's why within Catholicism, they have the Pope, and they believe the papal authority extends through the line of Peter, and therefore the Pope can loose things on heaven and bind things in heaven. And those are spiritual forces. They are blessings and curses. It's all those things. But what if the way he's approaching it, because the word Petros, which is what he calls Peter, means little rock. And then when he says upon this rock, what if he's actually, because that means Petra means big rock, Petros with an S at the end means little rock. If Jesus is actually saying that he's the rock, that the church is going to be built on, the mm-hmm. Messiah, the 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 declaration, the proclamation that Peter made that he is the Messiah, Son of the living God, if that's the rock, then that means that you and I, all of us that are in the church, now have the same authority, have authority in Christ to bind and loose things in heaven. And Jennifer, you asked the question, like, what does that mean? What does it mean to bind and loose? And and I I doubt I'm going to get into it on Sunday. And again, because we pre-record this, maybe I will. But the idea there is that as, as a believer, we actually have authority to bind spiritual forces. We can bind, we can cast out demons, but we also can bind up blessings. So this is interesting. We're talking about the war in Ukraine right now. Mm-hmm. And it was asked, can we pray that God, uh, is, it, is it right for a believer to pray that the Lord would take Putin's life to end this war? What do you guys think? Do you think, mm-hmm. do you think, because it says we have the right we can bind and loose things in heaven as on they are on earth, and that means blessing. It doesn't just mean demonic. It also means that we can actually pray that God's justice, his vengeance, would be bound on person or loosed on a person. What do you guys think? So I do have a thought on this. I also have lots of thoughts. <laughs> uh, okay, so if you've met me at all, you would probably know that I generally take a very uh, peace approach to yeah. the my yeah, interpretation violence. of the gospel. Yep. Uh, very much so. I like I, I I find a hard hard to view just through the lens of Jesus. Yep. A lot of violence. Okay. Not saying the Old Testament and all of that. However, I do love 
reading the laments and psalms where it's like you immediately go into it and you're like you're like man god this sucks like you're literally yelling at god like this war sucks it sucks so badly like i hate it and then the second part of the lament is god vanquish my enemies like literally they call out like destroy my enemies bring them to dust whatever it might be but then the third act is always that important part of like but but because of your faithfulness because of your your continual presence of who you are I'm going to remain faithful. So regardless of whether you do the thing I ask, I'm going to remain faithful yeah. to you. Mm-hmm. And I think when we, if we pray like that, then you can get that feeling out of like, man, I do want them to vanquish my enemies. But the reality is it shouldn't be my will. It should right. be God's. Absolutely. And yeah. so that's how I kind of view it. And I know that's not, you know, there's still a little bit of anger there, but you know. But is it a righteous anger? Do we have the right to be angry about what's happening in Ukraine? That- and I think sometimes it's language. I think it's like, God, we want your will. Lord, I would love it if Putin would repent. God, I would also love it if he's taken out. Like, like, Lord, just end this and bring your will and your kingdom to this earth. And so I think that's the thing. It's like, I think sometimes just that, that language of like, destroy him. And, you know, and then we just have such a faithful, loving God. It's like. Sis, I got this. Daughter, I've got this. Yeah, no, watch sis, this. Watch what I'm going to do. I, I've got this. a better plan no than you can even possibly yeah. articulate in this moment. But I hear yeah. your anger, yeah. and I, I empathize with you. Enough. I've always felt and I've always like said to this this effect, like venting in that sense of like taking everything to God and casting your burdens on God is is always like that's that's a really good thing to be able to do, and that's why that's such an important part of these Psalms is just like the, like the first half of it is just, man, life sucks. And I'm feeling this way and God, you must hate me and you've gone away from me and I don't feel you and what's going on. And wow, this is awful. And it's like, that's, that's honest. God already knows how you're feeling. God already (laughs) knows how you are acting. It's like, what's the point of being like, thank you, God, for your, (laughs) it's fake. And, and, and so it's like, uh, but you ask that question, you know, is it right to like ask that thing? And I'm like, I got a little uncomfortable. I was like, yeah. oh, I don't know that if that's the right. But it's like asking God to work and ask and like bringing your desires to God is is uh, is something that we're encouraged to do. Yeah. Um, and then following that up with, you know what, I trust that you are going to move in this situation yeah. is probably not going to be how I think <laughs> it's going to go. But. It's going to be resolved one way or another, you know. I think it's just such a great reminder, too, of, like, I woke up this morning and I have no idea what today will look like. Like, up to this point and for the rest of the day. And and I don't know what's going to happen with Ukraine and Russia. I don't know what's going to happen to Putin. Mm -hmm. But I still have the promises that the king will never leave me or forsake me. So if, if you look at... Actually, I'll back up a second. When I do, when I walk beside people that are going through grief, through cancer or the death of a loved one, or uh, they had a child who died because of an accident or a sickness, there's something that Christians feel the need to do, which is to sugarcoat. Oh, you know, I know they're in God's hands. And, mm-hmm. and one of the things that I walk people through is, you really believe that? Oh, yeah, I do. I don't think you do. Mm-hmm. And, and telling them, giving them permission to be angry at God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what the whole book of Lamentations is about, is I'm angry at you, Lord. Why aren't you? You said we were your people, and yet you've abandoned us. Where are you? Yeah. And I think that there's there's a beauty in a, our ability to speak truthfully to the Lord, because here's the deal. God's God enough to handle our emotions. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we think God is like this insecure, infinite being who rises and falls on whether or not I like him. God doesn't care if I like him. He cares that I love him. And it's just like my children, like the, there's a problem. When I care more about my parents, that my children like me than they love me, mm. then I've got a problem because now they're sitting on the throne, right? Right. And at the end of the day, there is healing. And I've watched yeah. this. I've watched this unfold in people's lives. Um, I remember walking beside somebody that lost a child and giving them the freedom to say, how do you really feel? I'm angry. I'm so mad at God. You know what? God can handle that. Mm-hmm. And you look at World War II. Think about all the Jews mm. who were mm-hmm. slaughtered because mm-hmm. of Nazi Germany. Yeah. Look at churches right now. Like, 
if there aren't people in Ukraine, if they're just like, oh, we praise the Lord, that's not real. And that's the, that's why I think we have that in the book of Psalms. I think Psalms and Lamentations and Ecclesiastes, I think the reason why they're part of that, it's called wisdom literature. Um, the reason why it's in the writing is I think it's God's way of telling us it's okay if you express anger. And in that end, I actually do think it's okay to pray, Lord, if Putin's not going to repent, take him out. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, we have to trust him and whatever he chooses to do. That's now, if he doesn't, I can't be angry. I can't be angry, but I, I have to. That's he's sovereign. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think praying that, especially if you're if someone's in Ukraine, let's say they lost somebody they loved. I don't think God's going to be like, how dare you pray that? I'm I believe in peace. No, that's <laughs> right. you're you're expressing your heartache and your anger. And, and I think it's again, when Jesus or when it says vengeance is mine, says the Lord. That's the point where you're handing over revenge. Revenge is where I want to take out Putin. Yeah. Now all of a sudden I've moved into a different territory. I'm playing God, but trusting God. And this is what we see in the book of Acts when you see like rulers all of a sudden falling over dead and having maggots eating their inside out. Like it's disgusting. The book of Acts has stories of, I think it's King Festus. Yeah. Which I'm always like, how is that really his name? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Festus and the maggots. Like, I don't know. Just. But that's like, or even how about Ananias and Sapphira, where you no, see this, where you see people just like, I'm like, oh my gosh, God can do those things. And and so what does that mean for us? Well, here's the part, and this is what I wanted to get us to as we're, we're kind of wrapping things up a little bit. Um, if we actually have the authority, if God has given it to us as a church, our calling is to go into this battleground. And Satan, he is at war with God, but he's not equal with God. And I've talked about this before. Yeah. He's not God's equal. It's not the force, the good side and the dark, the light side and the dark side. It's not two gods mm-hmm. at war. It's one mm-hmm. God. Thank mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I immediately. You and Darth Vader, Darth Vader's march. But I think that's what happens is we forget that we are at war. But the difference is, is Satan already knows he's lost, so he's on defense. And I love that quote that simple Tom Rainier says in Simple Churches. When it says the gates of hell, the whole purpose of a gate is to keep people out. The gates are, oh, we're under siege. We're under attack. That's why you close the gates, is that you are under attack. You are in defensive mode. Mm. Satan knows he's lost. Now, that doesn't mean he doesn't attack, but he's attacking from a defensive position. He's that lion. He's the cornered lion who he's cornered, so he lashes out. He's not attacking because he's on offense. He's attacking because he's scared. He's prowling around. He's, and he knows it's coming. And, and what does that look like for us? And, and as we look at it, we're reminded that we are at war. And I love that you brought this up in Sermon Read Through, Jennifer. When we look at prayer, the challenge that I gave on Sunday is that I was taught, this was one of my old paradigms, my old wineskins. I always thought spiritual warfare was, I just need to pray. That's I just pray, pray, pray. And I, I spend hours in prayer and I say the right prayers and I call down angels and I, I do that. And prayer is important. But everything that Jesus talked about the kingdom being was always tangible, physical realities, prayer being manifested through the, the, the natural world, the fruit of the spirit. None of those things are, they're spiritual, but they're not in some ethereal realm that doesn't exist. Love is a tangible thing. Grace is a tangible thing. Mercy, yeah. kindness, goodness, gentleness, those are real things. So here's, here's what we were talking about, and you brought up, Jennifer, was when in Ephesians 6, when it tells us to put on the armor of God, it's because we're actually attacking the castle. We're actually going in and we're storming the gates of hell. And Satan is going to fire arrows at us. He's going to fire lies and he's going to do everything he can to take us down. But we're on the offensive. We're taking back ground. All right. So here's a question I have for you guys. Um, when you look at the gospel, and if the gospel is present here and now, and, and we uh, we launched on Sunday Tove moments, like we're trying to celebrate the areas where God is taking back ground. What are some ways in which you've watched as Jesus has taken background? What are some Tove moments that you've watched as it's it's literally stepping into heaven moving into earth through small moments? Sometimes they're small victories, sometimes they're large. What are some Tove moments that you've seen that are um, taking background? So, oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, so as a staff, we've been discussing Tove moments for weeks now. Like, I know you guys know what Tove is, but we've been thinking about it and talking about it for a while now. And so over the past few weeks, I've made an intentional effort of just like 
looking around at the things going on around me. And I think this is this is a this is what I've pulled from this is uh, regardless of whether you like activities like that, I think it allowed me to be aware of things that I normally would just let go right by. Oh yeah. And it's so easy, like a good examples in the traditional service, it, it meant so much to me. And I don't know if it means anything to anyone else, but uh, one of our people at our traditional service, and he, he's a little older and uh, he's in a full suit and a, a, a young boy comes in and he gets down on his knees and fist bumps this, this, this little boy. And the little boy just fist bumps him and goes into the service. And when he gets up, I'm just like, I'm like, man, you're pretty cool. And he's like, I have to adapt to my audience. Like I have to fit in with the with the with my audience. And like just that heart to to be willing to to make that that young child feel welcome. Like to yeah, me, yeah. like that's a Tove moment. But like I fist bump every single person coming out of the church. So to like it would be it would have been very easy to just look by and yeah. not not see the moment that happened. And so what I liked about this is I think it gave me the lens to to kind of not miss those moments. And so that one was really impactful to me, even though it was simple and nothing really happened, yeah. it still was cool. And I'm hoping that God works in that kid, uh, that he knows that he has a place and that he is welcome, even though he's not young, or he's too young to know it yet. I'm hoping God's working in it. Well, you just said, I think there's there's two real, there's two ways of looking at Tove. We get to observe Tove and then we get to participate in Tove. Mm. And I think we get to do both. Like when I see a Tove moment, I should call it out. But then I think the other challenge is, how am I doing Tove moments? How am I looking for those opportunities to bless? Being intentional, yeah. Yeah, because if, if all I'm doing is observing, then I'm not participating. That means somebody else is doing that gets to be the blessing. And I think God is challenging. So I think we have to have eyes to see yep. both. Yeah, that's great. Uh, yeah, I'll share. Uh, just this has been a highlight for me this week. Um, we had a, a friend, a man who came to visit our church for the first time. And I know he's going through some hard things and... Um, uh, and I'm coming from a perspective of like, I, I was very close to the situation, but also just from like a staff perspective of like, wow, look what our people are doing. But um, I asked him like, hey, can we pray for you? And uh, he said, yes. And it wasn't a hesitation. It wasn't like a sure. It wasn't, you know, and I, it's just always such a great reminder that people are waiting for an invitation. But what was yeah. really cool is I took him to a couple of men in the prayer corner. And there was a man who's not on the prayer team. He just was in the corner talking to another guy on the team. And this particular guy, so with no no training on like how to pray out loud or like no, um, you know, it would have been so easy for him to not and yet instead he prayed very boldly for this man. Mm. And then afterwards he said, I'm going to be praying for you for the entire week. I, I know what it feels like to be in your situation. Mm. And it was like, I expect that kind of stuff from the prayer team. I expect that kind of stuff from the staff. But to have it from a man who just is wanting to bring Tove to the world and in that moment prayed, like that was, that was awesome and so yeah. worth celebrating to me. And I love, we have two contrasts. Yeah. We have one that's just a very simple act of giving a fist bump. And, and that's and that's still spiritual. And you have one that's very, we associate with spirituality, yeah, yeah, yeah. praying. Yeah. And sometimes we take that ground by bringing love into the world, but loving for Jesus or showing things differently. Yeah. Um, yeah. How about anything, for, anything you can think of, John? Well, I think of just like recent experiences that I've had with worship, because that's what I do is just whether it's worship in the traditional space or in the contemporary space um, or even seeing Z kids and Z youth, I've seen a lot of just, I've seen a lot of growth in worship with new people coming in and, or, or new people being brought in and, and seeing people stepping up to that. Mm -hmm. And for some more than others, it's, it's more of a challenge. It's more of a, I'm stepping out of my comfort zone to do this which is totally different from how I feel about it. It's so, it can get routine sometimes. It can get mundane almost where I'm like, oh, it's another Sunday. It's another, another Wednesday night, you know? And I need those moments where it's like somebody's stepping in and really getting into it and really catching, catching the bug, so to speak, I guess. They're just, they're, get, they're into it and, and worship becomes so much more than just singing or playing. Um, there, there, there have been several of these moments that I've just witnessed and like Derek, it's, it's, it's nothing fancy. It's nothing obvious. You know, nobody else may have noticed it. I might not have noticed it, but I just, I see it. 
Um, I think some, I think I get fixated too often sometimes where I'm just like, I don't know how this is going to work out. So I'm just going to sit back on the sidelines and not do anything. And it's like, if those, if those times do work out great and you get 1500 tove moments out of it. Great. If, if, if nothing comes of it, I, you know, I, I think back to the beginning of what we're talking about. Like we know that in the end, victory is God's victory yeah. is Christ. And at the end of the, at the end of the story, Christ prevails. Mm-hmm. That doesn't give us an excuse to sit back and do nothing. Rather. It's like an encouragement, like, gosh, things are going yeah. awful right now, but I know that I can keep going because we win in the end. So you know? I, we got a new couch, and the the guys who deliver it, we were talking, and the guy made a comment to me, and it was it was something like, "Hey, you know, God bless." And all of a sudden, it started a conversation, and he got to share his faith, and we're mm-hmm. talking, and I'm like, you know, I'm the pastor over at Zion, and it's like, man, I, I love Jesus, and he's talking about how God has done it. And by the time we got done, like it was just a five minute conversation with two guys moving a sofa into my house. But it was an encouragement. Like, that encouraged me. I don't know if it encouraged him or not, but it made me go, wow, that was really cool. When you shared your story, and this is what I love about Tove Moments, like our goal is to have 100,000 Tove Moments a year. That sounds astronomical. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing, like, yeah, my little one Tove Moment is one in 100,000. But what happens if we as an entire church are looking for opportunities to bring Tove, observing Tove? Mm-hmm. There's no reason why we couldn't hit 100,000. We could hit a million in a year because there's so many opportunities and it got me thinking about there are small times that I don't even realize that maybe just that small encounter was a, a little bit of ground being taken back mm-hmm. for the Lord. That our world is filled with so much brokenness, so much anger and hatred and evil. And and there, was, there are good things happening. And it reminded me, you guys remember the movie Pay It Forward? Yeah. yeah. So yep. a great movie. The Watched whole, that in high school, I think. Yeah. And, yep. and I thought, and I'm like, here's the difference. The world looks at good things to pay it forward. Jesus looks at things as moving forward. I'm not doing something so that in return you'll do something so that we can pay it forward. That's a very worldly view of doing good. Mm. We're doing it because every time I do something good, we're moving, we're, we're advancing the ball forward in the kingdom of God because we're doing it for Jesus. I don't, I don't do things so that you'll pay it forward. I don't, if I bless you, I'm not doing it so you'll bless the next person because that's just that's humanitarianism. Mm. I'm doing it because I want you to know how much you have a God who loves you. And hopefully when you understand that, you're going to do it to the next person to show them how much God loves them. But it's that there's that old and I'm, I'm everybody's heard this story. I'm sure it's the, the guy walking on a beach and he sees a little girl and there's all these starfishes washing up on the beach yeah. and there's hundreds of thousands of them. And she's throwing one back. And the, the guy says, you're wasting your time. You're never going to get them all. What's it even matter? And she picks one up and throws it in the ocean. It goes, matter to that one. Matter to that one. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's the thing is that I think it, what would happen if we as a church saw Tove moments, not as just an opportunity to do good, but bring God's goodness into our world. How much different could Clear Lake be? Could Mason City? Could Iowa be? What if what if we started looking at our, our objective as Christians is to participate with God to rebuild, to rebring, restore God's goodness, goodness that was lost in the fall. Like all of a sudden that changes. Like we could we could literally see an avalanche of change if we all started focusing on wanting to bring a piece of God's goodness through small and big things. A big thing, it might be the Lord tells you to buy somebody's groceries. That's a huge moment. But you let them know that you did it for Jesus. You don't just do it because you're a good person. You're doing it because you want to know Jesus loves them. Mm-hmm. You have no idea the impact that could have on somebody's life. How that might, I uh, probably three years ago, and I'll, I'll end with this story, and then you guys can, any last comments, but uh, we were in Target. It was Christmas. Actually, it was right, it was right as COVID was happening, so it, we hadn't shut down yet. And we're in Minnesota, and I remember standing in line, and this woman was using gift cards to pay for Christmas gifts. And it was clearly for children because they were children's toys. <laughs> and I told Lisa, I said, I feel like, I feel like we need to, to buy these for her. And so I, I turned to her and I said, ma'am, I'd really love to bless you. Can I, can I buy these gifts for you? And she looked at me and she goes, what? <laughs> I said, I, I feel like Jesus wants me to buy these gifts for you. Can I buy these for you? And she starts crying. She's like, can I give you these gift cards? I said, no, because that's not me blessing you. No, I just want to do this. 
And the cashier, all of a sudden, she goes, I've never seen this happen in my life. Like, you're seriously, and it was like $70 worth of stuff. And we get, as we're doing it, and I'm buying it, and she's putting it on. She's like, I feel so bad. There's so much here. I said, no, this is the Lord blessing you. I just want mm-hmm. you to know that Jesus loves you. She goes, I know he does. <laughs> she's like, I know he bless. I know he loves me. And what was crazy is the cashier, and I was telling you guys got to see this. This dude's yeah. buying. And, and it was an opportunity I don't know the impact. I never ran into that. I'm never going to run into that woman again. But this is what she said to me. She goes, I just started going to this church. Like, what if she'd been going and that one moment was God's way of breaking a strong hold in her life of believing that God didn't care? All because I just took an opportunity to pay. And it wasn't about how, it wasn't about me. And that's, I think, the difference is, is we're not doing things to be good. We're doing them to bring God's goodness. And what would happen if we as a church, and this is why we want to track it, this is what Simple Church says, is whatever you evaluate, you do. Whatever you measure, you do. Mm-hmm. And we want to measure this as a way, not as some program, but as a way for us to say, hey, no, 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 these are testimonies. Every single notch on that counter is a testimony. It's a person. It's a, person. It's a testimony of ground being taken back. And who knows, maybe that person came to Christ. Maybe that person was struggling with addiction or dealing with grief or loss. And your little moment of wanting to bring God's goodness brought change in their life set free. We have no idea the impact yep. that God could do. Never All right, that's my final. Any final thoughts before we end end our, our podcast for today? Well, I um, lots of good things, and this is not related to anything we discussed. But Derek <laughs> is drinking a bubbly uh, it's a raspberry sparkling bubbly. water right next to me. And it, it says... Did we just become besties? And I think that's hilarious. And I just, yes, Derek, we did. Did that bring Tova into your life? We just, we I became picked besties. I this one over just, for, just, just for, for you. Me. Yeah, that's yeah. too funny. I saw that. Did we just become besties? That has absolutely <laughs> nothing to do with it. In the words of Spaceballs, and what does that make us? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> that was funny. Thank you, Jennifer. Anybody else? Any last thoughts? Uh, Bob Goff, if you're listening. And, and T. Wright, if you're listening. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I do want to say this because, yeah. and you kind of did point it out with your cashier story, but that's that was the thing I couldn't stop thinking about. Was see, we think that a Tove moment affects one person. Mm. It doesn't. Could affect mm. good point. There are so many people watching and and wondering and are curious, and so our our hundred thousand goal is a hundred thousand people. I might even share this on Sunday, but it's like okay, Clear Lake's eight thousand. Sarah Gordo's 40,000. That's like th- almost two and a half tow moments per person in our yeah. county. That's pretty phenomenal. Possibly, but, yeah. Possibly. But here's the thing. It's going to be so much more expen- exponential than that mm-hmm. because a tow moment to me, like if I experience a tow moment and you all witness it, well, now you've experienced a tow moment as well. Well, and, and that just, you just saw uh, one last thing. I, I, I thought I was going to be finished, but I felt like I needed to say this. <laughs> here's the other part. It might be that collection of toe moments in one person's life that yes. pushes them to Jesus. That's right. Yeah. So it could be that it's not one toe moment. It could be that they have a hundred toe moments in that week and all of a sudden they're like, maybe this Jesus what thing is, is real. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. So it could be, we could have a hundred thousand different lives or it could be 10 lives that the Lord is pursuing those people. And like, have you ever had that where you can't look, you can't look left or right without, without seeing something. Yes. Like, and it could be that all of a sudden, what if, what if we have, what if it's 10 people that we don't even know, but the Lord has been laying opportunities in front of all of us. And all of a sudden they show up at church, like, dude, I kept on running into people from Zion who kept on blessing me and loving me. We're like serious. Like we have no idea what God can do. And I believe this, this is why it's the vision for our church. Our vision is not to be a mega church. Our vision is not to be you know, it's not about more buildings. Our vision is we want to see God's kingdom come and will be done where we are right here. That is the gospel. That is the good news right now. In All right. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Mm-hmm. Preach, preacher, preacher. There we go. That's right. Well, hey, you've been, uh, you words, I have them. <laughs> you've been listening to the Breakthrough Breakdown. If you found this helpful or encouraging, do us a favor, share it with a friend. Uh, I man, so excited that we're almost up to 2,000 mm-hmm. downloads and, and visits, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm Jason. I'm John. Derek. Jennifer. You have a tove day. Good morning and night. <laughs>Thank you for listening to the Breakthrough Breakdown, a Zion podcast. Make sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple Music, and check out the Zion app. Share this episode with your friends so they can tune in as well. We'll be back next Wednesday with another installment of the Breakthrough Breakdown.